0: Would you please turn with me to 1 Thessalonians on this Resurrection Sunday? We moved to a text this morning that emphasizes the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the implications for believers today. If Christ is not raised, we are without hope, are we not? We are to be pitied, but Christ is raised. And so, how does a believer benefit from the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? There are many different ways and some of which are outlined in this passage before us. I remind you that this is God's holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Therefore, it is trustworthy, worthy to be listened to, heard, as the most reliable source of truth in our world today. Surely darkness prevails in our land, but the word of God abides forever. Let's hear God's word. with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Let's pray. Merciful and gracious God, we pray that you would grant us understanding of your word. We pray that you would help us to believe it, to trust wholly and completely on the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask, Lord, these things, that we would hear that word from him. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. <clears throat> oh, how we feel the death of a loved one, how we feel the death of members of the body of Christ when when they die we feel the loss and we wonder what they see we wonder what they experience what uh, and, and faith and and loss and trust and emo- emotional loss they converge and so we, we often struggle in the trial of the why why do our loved ones die and 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 in what state do they currently exist and 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 what do they see and what do they know and and what bliss have they entered into? And we, we wonder at this. We're filled with questions. And meanwhile, our experience in this world is just loss. Loss and bereavement, death and the finality of it impacts and lays a burden upon us. We are affected and we never lose a sense of how that affects us. We live in light of death, which has occurred and the losses that we have we have experienced. In this world, modern bereavement literature, of which I have seen, some of us have seen, we partake of this, we receive it from others, or or we hand it out, or it's been given to us in a hospital setting. And usually, what's 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 advised there is that someone should maintain a a normal schedule. You avoid excesses of alcohol or drugs. Of course, how about abstaining? <laughs> but avoid excesses, and consider that your loved one is in heaven. These bereavement uh, messages uh, say these very things that your loved one is in heaven. Well, I, I don't know upon what basis they can confidently say this, but, but this is what they say. And for them, heaven is a happy, paradise-like place it's, uh, that we don't know an awful lot about. But, but surely in that place, your loved ones are able to look down upon you. Well, this is sentimental garbage. It, it really has no biblical basis. It, it has no biblical warrant. Your loved ones do not see you. No, they do not. They see the living Christ. They, they exist with him. They, they do not look back upon this world. They have no interest in doing so. Certainly they, they love you, but their mind is fully engaged upon Jesus Christ. And in heaven we will have no lasting memory of this place. Thanks be to God. Well, that's what they say, and they say that your loved ones are looking down upon you, and we, we should celebrate the significance of their life through a life review. All of these things are Good. They might be helpful in a moment. Life review. I love that. It's a catchphrase for just simply think about your loved one and what they did and what was special and unique about them and tell other people about them. That's a wonderful exercise. But I'll tell you, if you're going to make that the ground of your hope, your, your future hope relating to your future death and life in Christ, well, it's a baseless one. Many of these things are devoid of the comfort that comes from the knowledge that God has appointed their death precisely according to His own timeline, and precious in the eyes of God are the deaths of his, his His holy ones, His saints. There is much that we can take from this passage this morning, and there is much that we may hope in, and and that ought to so guard our thinking in this world that we are not in any way hoping in the sentiment just just recently conveyed, but rather hoping in eternal truths bound in the word of God. Well, let me tell you about where Paul is writing from as he writes this letter to the Thessalonican church. It's written from Corinth about A.D. 50 and 51. Paul is not too far from his own death. It's going to come in a number of years. It's going to come at some point. But in his early ministry to the European Gentiles in Thessalonica, they they were charged with a sense of the immediacy of the Lord's return. And, of course, much of what you read about in the in the, early, the epistles, especially the earlier ones, and read about in Acts, the church is fully expecting the return of Jesus Christ. And, of course, a day with the Lord, uh, 10,000 years, a thousand years with the Lord is like a day for mankind. What we consider slow, the Lord does not consider slow at all. Paul's Jewish opponents that opposed him in Thessalonica had convinced him, told him, or were telling people and were convincing people that what they needed to do uh, was um, actually to believe in something altogether different. They were affecting their, their thinking about the end and about the return of Christ. There were some that were going to the churches saying that the Lord had already returned. And there were others who had opposed Paul in his ministry in Thessalonica, and they had run him out of town. And so Paul didn't, wasn't able to uh, impart to them a full-orbed view of, of what they should expect with regard to the eschaton, the return of Christ. That's what that big word means. The end of all things, the return of Jesus, the end of mankind and of this world in which we live. And so he writes these two letters to them, and I love his very practical counsel to them over and over again. One of the most comforting things to me is what he says earlier on in chapter three, when he says, look, I, I encourage you to live your life, work with your hands, mind your own business, and accomplish what God has called you to do. Well, they, they, they were struggling with how to live in the world with 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 an expectation of the return of Christ how am i supposed to live now and and in what way should i live if if i'm if i'm expecting the the imminent return of jesus christ should i still go to work do i still need a car do i still need a bank account do i still need to clothe my children and have a home and the apostle paul's writing to them of course that's our modern our modernization of of those those questions they might have had and and they wondered what you know should we work anymore should we stop working and and no longer eat no longer eat and and no longer work with the full expectation that Christ is coming soon and of course we have observed end time prophets who have said Christ is coming in the year 2023 and then when it doesn't happen well i miscalculated he's coming in 2028 And each time believers go out and they sell their home and with a snicker give away their money believing that "Eh, it's all going to be worthless tomorrow. And yet here they are because Jesus has clarified for all of us even the Son of Man does not know the time. If the Son of Man, the eternal Son of God in, in the limitations of his humanity was prevented from knowing the timing of his return in full and final consummation of all things how is it that we will surreptitiously through some manipulation of the bible figure out the day and time of jesus christ's return well paul is writing to a Thessalonican people and they're they're they're, they're plagued by these things and they don't know how to live in the world in which they live and They don't quite know how to understand this and how to live in such a way with a full expectation of the return of Christ but also engage fully in living for his glory. Stewarding the time that they have. And so Paul has been instructing these Thessalonican believers. It's a a tough one. As to how they ought to live. And, And he's given them encouragement and motivation in godly living. He's taught them about their standing in Christ and he's He's referenced the return of Christ. One other thing has afflicted these Thessalonican believers, and that is, what about people who were part of the community of faith and who have died? What's going to happen then? And they have a question, you see, because Christ, if you you follow, if you trace the timeline, Christ uh, died and rose from the grave, he ascended. The apostles began ministering amongst all the various people groups and going from town and city and city to town and town to town. And people turned to Christ. And the Thessalonican believers turned to Christ and believed. And, And then in the course of events, as Paul was run out of town, some, just through normal processes, died. Loved ones. They passed from this earth. And so so these Thessalonican believers were asking, what happened to them? Are they going to miss out on the, the return of Christ? As I await the return of Christ and live my life centered around that theme, what about my loved ones who have passed away? Will they miss out on the return of Jesus Christ? And so Paul writes and says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren. We want you to understand, we want you to know. And of course, we we know, we understand that the right right theology leads to right understanding, leads to right living. So, if we want to live in such a way that pleases God, if we want to live in such a way that that is carrying out the calling which I've been given by my God and Father, to which he has called me as his child, then then I need to believe right things and right framework theologically about God and about his word and my place within that same framework. What we have come to believe and our theology informs how we respond to things like death. And so what actions I take, the, the things that I prioritize, the perspectives, the approaches to life and death that I have, well... Theology will either comfort or encourage and sustain us when our loved ones die, or leave us if if our theology is deficient, leave us hopeless, helpless. The 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 Thessalonican believers were 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 rather stymied by this, and they didn't know quite what to believe. And the Apostle Paul writes, "We want you to be informed." I'll tell you, it it, it impresses upon us today that. We ought never to even consider or to, to, or, or to neglect to think about our death. And, and as we anticipate death, all of us will die. It, it is something unavoidable for every human being. We will experience death. And it's absolutely vital that you don't approach your death without knowledge, without a theology derived from the word of God concerning death and resurrection and life and the return of the Lord and the state of your soul absolutely vital that you understand and that you frame your your life now the days that God has given to you now by what you anticipate and understand Christ will one day do for you and through you as he returns and so that's why the apostle culminates this entire section in verse 18 when he says therefore encourage one another with these words Jesus connects with truth and theology, with faith and grief, anxiety, darkness of soul, all of those things. Well, the believers in Thessalonica didn't know, they were yet uninformed about the resurrection, the state of the soul and death, the state of the body and death, the circumstances relating to the body and soul at the return of Christ. They did, however, know this. They've been made aware of the Lord's words to his disciples, and there already are creedal formulations uh, already passing amongst the church in that second century. The Apostles' Creed is coming into wide use in the early church at that point, at a later point, but but it's already circulating. There are already creedal statements that are firming up their belief and helping them to understand their cultural and philosophical context, their there are existential presuppositions about life and death. All of these things are coursing through their mind. But what? how does that change when someone comes to understand Christ and his resurrection, which frankly turns the natural order on its head? We've not experienced anything like it. No human being has ever seen anything like it. There is nothing more remarkable than a dead body affirmed to be dead one decomposed completely and being raised to life. But that is what the Word of God tells us will occur with every human being who has died in Christ. No one has ever been interned in the tomb for the space of three days, a body dead and buried, affirmed in its medical diagnosis, even by his enemies, to be dead and yet to be brought to life but we have observed this not only in the in, in in the resurrection of the lord jesus christ the resurrection of lazarus from the grave various other healings and various other healings through apostles and through jesus christ but also you you once were dead in your trespasses and sins And you've been brought to life in Jesus Christ. That's what Ephesians chapter 2 tells us. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath. That's what you were. But God reconstituted your heart and gave you a heart of flesh in place of the heart of unbelieving stone and of rebellion against God. And He gave you life in Jesus Christ. God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. You see... If you have any wonderment about the future resurrection, you say, I just can't get my mind around it. I really can't understand how God can reconstitute a body out of the molecular breakup of of dirt and of soil and dust. Well, God made man from the soil and the dust, didn't he? And didn't he save you? Didn't he cause you who are dead in your trespasses and sins and so empowered So, 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 so restricted by the power of Satan that there was no hope for you. Except if Jesus Christ came and saved your soul and the Holy Spirit in his secret and sovereign work. So changed your heart, so changed your soul that he made you able, that he granted you the ability to believe. Well, what do we learn about the return of Christ here this morning? We do not want you to be an unformed brethren about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, this is coming from Christ and a re- direct revelation through the Apostle Paul and those who are apostles with him, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and re- remain will be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air." I think it's important that we understand the nature of what exactly the Apostle Paul is saying here. There is a very definitive, public, loud, observable return that Jesus will make. For those who believe that Christ has returned or will return quietly and take the the church with him, for a seven-year period, or a 70-year period, or a 700-year period, whatever it may be. That's not what we observe here. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the Thessalonican believers. It is affirmed in many other passages throughout Scripture. Go to Revelation chapter 21. Go to First Corinthians chapter 15. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Go to Second Thessalonians. In every instance, we observe that Christ Christ When he returns, it is loud, it is visible, and every eye sees him. It is not secret, it is not quiet, it is not private, and it is not partial. It is whole, loud, observable, public. There is a descent that Jesus comes with. And and it's not just a descent where, just if you see Him, the descent of Christ described here is that there is a creation of the new heavens and the new earth, and it's happening. It's beginning. it's It's all beginning now. And it begins first with the Lord who comes from the clouds and brings those who are dead with Him, calls their bodies forth from the ground, and calls all those who are alive to come and meet Him in the air. And then what happens? Many other various things which must unfold and event after event after event? No! Then we will be with him forever. There's not a future separation from him. He'll go and then he'll depart and then he'll come again? No. He will never again be separated from his bride. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. It seems to me that if there was anything else, if there were any other events to be waited upon, if there was any other things that were necessary that believing people in the world at that day needed to know about future events so that their faith would be complete, so that their faith would be full, so that they would not fear, and so that they would, they would be able to anticipate the things which were going to unfold so that they would not be surprised or taken over by something unexpected, the Apostle Paul would have said it. But he presents this to them, and he does so in many other places in similar fashion. This is what's going to happen, then this, then this, then this, and that's the end. Jesus is coming and he's inaugurating the creation of the new heavens and the new earth. He will never again be separated from his bride and he brings heaven with him. He doesn't leave a single thing and he doesn't see leave a single denizen of heaven behind. Maybe you question that in, in Revelation chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there's no longer any sea and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, have passed away. That is exactly what the Apostle Paul is outlining here for the Thessalonican believers. Now when the Lord comes, it will not be silent or quiet or secret. Three different ways in which it will be proclaimed for all to see. We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. You see, there is a shout or a cry of command. I believe that's the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe that's the voice of the Lord Himself who God who created all things and for whom all things were made and he is shouting and proclaiming rise from the dead very much like exactly what he said before the grave of Lazarus Lazarus come forth and the Lord Jesus comes he descends from heaven with a shout that shout that voice that command will be the Lord Jesus Christ saying to his created beings, all those who died in him, and to all the dead of the world, rise, come forth. There's a voice of the archangel, and the archangel is either Michael or Gabriel. who We don't know. There's not any further information here, but, but the voice of the archangel is the one who commands all the angels. He's He's like chief of the angels and he's commanding the angels to come and to carry out their redemptive participation in the judicial and redemptive ingathering of God's people. Gather them all. Gather all those in particular who belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. All the dead in Christ, gather them to the Lord. Even now. There's a third thing, a very loud noise, the trumpet, the trumpet of heaven. The final sounding note from heaven, the last trumpet, the final destruction of the systems and the governments of the world and the corruption and the darkness and the blackness of it all. It has come to an end and all God's people are summoned into their full inheritance. The last trumpet, the end of all things. New heavens, the new earth. So let's affirm these facts this morning. All who have died prior to the return of Jesus Christ will be brought with Him when He comes. That's what He says. All who die in the Lord, whether that's you and me, even if we die before Christ comes, we will be brought with the Lord when He comes to this earth. Those who are alive will not precede those who have died prior to the return. So when Jesus comes, He's going to come in the clouds with all those who, And unite them with their bodies, souls to their bodies as a a complete being, a human being. They will be raised, their bodies from the dead, from the depths of the ocean, from every place where people have died. They will be raised and they will be snatched up into the clouds with him. And the language is clear. It's a, a strong snatching forth with great and mighty power. The Lord himself, not someone else, not a representative, not someone he sends in his place, but the Lord himself will descend from heaven. And you will see him. He will come loudly with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God. And the bodies of the dead will be resurrected from the grave first. All who are alive in the Lord will immediately, after the bodies of those who have been raised are now united with their soul, those who remain on the earth will be changed in an instant. All of a sudden, we'll be glorified. You see, the body with which Christ was raised, was this. those sameness was, was clear. It was also different. He was able to move from place to place, and he was not restricted by locked doors. He could appear here and then disappear and reappear over there. He ate fish. He slept, but he had a power that was apparent, that was clear. And then the Apostle Paul says, and you will be raised with a body like his glorified body. In Philippians chapter 3. You will be like the Lord. You'll be raised with an imperishable body. And even if you're not raised, you're alive when Christ comes again. Nonetheless, it doesn't, it's, it's not consequential for you in the sense that you'll not miss out. Rather, you'll be caught up into the air with the Lord, but before you even get to Him in the air, you would too will be changed. And we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with Him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. All who are alive will join the resurrected Jesus, the Lord, in the air. We will meet Him in the clouds, the one whom you and I have never met, the one being, our Savior, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who we believe in, whom we have never seen with our actual eyes, but who we we have experienced in our heart, we've seen in the Word of God, we've beheld Him in our faith and in the faith of others, we've heard of Him in His Word, But then we will see him face to face. Isn't that the hope of every believer? To see the Lord Jesus face to face. To know him and to be known by him. Some of us think, well, I don't think I'll be able to. I'm not eminent enough of a saint to get close to him. All I know is that all of us, we, we shall always be with the Lord. Maybe you've seen a large gathering of people and you've you've been in a large gathering and there is a person you'd like to see, a person of interest. Maybe you want to get their autograph and they're so far away from you you just can't get through the press of bodies. It will not be like that in heaven. It will not be like that in heaven. What will occur in heaven is you will be intimately with the Lord. All of us, you and I and You and she and he and every other human being who loves the Lord Jesus and beholds Him in His coming will not be so far off, two miles away, three miles away. You can barely see the speck on the horizon. No, you'll be with the Lord. And I'll be with the Lord. Space and time are not in any way a constriction to our eternal, limitless, omniscient, omnipotent God. And the last note that is of great and lasting encouragement, we will be with the Lord. These events leave a Christian with hope, grounds of future certainty, yielding a present and sustaining encouragement. Therefore, we are not to grieve like non-believers. And that's why Paul says, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. He's putting the Christian's hope in, in, in contrast to the unbelievers of the world who do not have hope with, relate, with, with, with relation to death, what, what, what un, how unbelievers experience death is they simply have a, a, a an ungrounded, unfirm hope that their, their sentimental imaginings about about heaven and about goodness and about God's acceptance of wicked sinners will actually be brought to fruition. But these things are non-biblical and untrue. God is holy, He is infinite, He has created all things for His glory's sake. And for all those who are opposed to Him, God cannot abide unholiness, sinfulness, wickedness, but He must, because He is a holy God, punish sin. He will not sentimentally overlook. There must be a basis upon which. There must be a reason for God to overlook sin. And he does it because Christ had paid the penalty. But Christ and his penalty paying surety are not yours unless you believe in Jesus Christ. We must believe and repent. Repent. We must turn away from our sins, forsaking our sins, believing in Jesus. Even if we have many, many questions, we must believe, yes, Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is God eternal. Jesus has died for me because I'm a sinner and I need payment for my sins. I want to be reconciled to God. I need everlasting life. I don't want to die hopelessly. I want to die as one who has hope. There's encouragement here in the Texas morning for all who can't bear the thought of losing their loved ones, too. We all know about the shooting at the Covenant School about a week ago in Nashville, Tennessee. The school for one through six grades. Uh, it's sponsored through and governed by Covenant Presbyterian Church, a, a PCA church, very much like our own. Pastor Chad Scruggs is the pastor of that congregation. And Chad and Jada Scruggs had, I think, five children, one of which was a... A nine-year-old girl, their only daughter, Haley. She loved ninjas and unicorns and soccer and loved to play basketball. And the family hasn't said an awful lot, but their, one, their little girl, Haley, was one of the three little children that was killed by a young woman who, who now must behold her God. Chad hasn't said much, but he did say one thing to some media types who were in their face. He said, we are heartbroken. She was such a gift through tears. We trust that she is in the arms of Jesus, who will raise her to life once again. You see where he went? He didn't sentimentalize. He didn't talk about a hopeless thing. He said, we look at our daughter's death with real grief, with real sorrow we with with wonderment and we we're asking the wise but through tears we trust she's in the arms of Jesus who will raise her to life once again he his his hope he grounded his misery and his sorrow and his grief he and his wife together with their children in the resurrection of Jesus Christ this is an assistant pastor who knows Chad and he said as you can imagine this is a hard time there's grief but not without hope. You see, that's biblical. When Jesus comes again, he'll bring your departed loved ones with him. All those who have faith faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul has already referenced that in chapter 3, verse 13. He says, I pray that He may establish your hearts without blame and holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all of His saints. Jesus is coming again with all of His holy ones. And that's the consummation. It's the end of all things. And all people who are believers will be transformed. Their bodies transformed and glorified. And then so too will the bodies of those who remain alive at the coming of the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in verse 50 through 53 says, For the, the trump will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we who are alive and remain will be changed. Just in conclusion this morning, there's nothing here about a secret moving of the church or a rapture for seven years, nor is there a summary of a secret or quiet return of Christ. What we observe here is Christ is coming. When he comes, he is bringing about, inaugurating the new heavens and the new earth. He is redeeming the earth that is crying out for that redemption since the sin of Adam and the fall of humankind. And when Christ comes, He's bringing all the dead and all the denizens of heaven. It will be loud and proclaimed and clear for all the earth to see and to know. And then we will be with the Lord. There's not an, an interim period. There's no, 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 no other period in time that that will other events will take place. It's just simply, and then we shall always be with the Lord. Does that comfort you this morning? He is coming. He's raising all the dead. He's judging the world in righteousness and he's bringing about the completed kingdom of God. As you consider death and the frailty of your own body and the loss of loved ones, you're not without hope. There is a glorious reunion that Christ has in store for us and, and that he is, himself is anticipating a reunion with your beloved loved ones who, who have died in the Lord, with all who have faith in Christ, and with the Lord your Savior Himself, and then an eternal and glorious life with God in the world to come. You you won't miss out. Your loved ones won't miss out. And even if you or they die the second coming of the Lord in glory, because you are bound in Christ through faith, According to grace, where he is, there you will be. Death will be nothing but a vehicle which will bring your soul to God. Your body will only sleep, to use the language of the Apostle Paul here, in the grave. The Lord's pattern is the one which your own death will follow. Your body will rest in the grave, sleep in the grave as it were. Your soul will ascend to God one day when Christ comes again. Your body and soul will again be reunited and your body will be glorified. The Lord is coming. The Lord is coming. You will meet Him in the air and you will always be with the Lord. Because of these facts, the Apostle Paul is trying to say to the Thessalonican believers, this has a bearing on how you live today. And I want to wake up every sleepy Christian this morning, including myself and everyone here in the Western world, if you believe that Christ is raised from the dead and is coming again, then you want to live differently. The whole of our lives should be marked by the reality that well, Christ is coming again. The decisions that we make should be, should be changed because we, we know the Lord is coming. And so our future plans that hold out for 10, 20, 30, 40 years, some of us have charted out our lives all the way to the end. Have you included in there the reality that the Lord is coming? That you are going to be face to face with God eternal. Doesn't that mean at the very least that you should put all your faith in Jesus? Doesn't that mean that you should submit all of your priorities, all of your expectations, all the ways in which you've lived your life thus far to that one reality that is more true than anything else? You don't know the day of your death. You don't know how long God is going to give you. You don't know anything about tomorrow, never mind 50 years from now or 20 years from now, 10 years, one year, who knows? But you do know the Lord is coming again. You know Christ is coming again with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and a trump will sound. And you will be with the Lord. Death will bring your soul to God. Your body will only sleep. But the Lord is coming. And there's a particular encouragement here for every believer who feels ourselves weak and broken. We are afflicted. Our bodies are so torn by disease Struggle and strife and sleeplessness and depression and anxiety and immunodeficient diseases and MS and lupus and all the other things that we get sick with, pancreatitis and you name it, we get bruised and broken and beaten. The body with which you will be raised is imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual, which is ideally suited For a spiritual life in the age of glory with Christ Jesus. The Lord will not let you come up short. The Lord will not fail in his promises. How can we know that we will be resurrected? By believing in Jesus Christ. Are you still assailed by doubts and fear? Just keep clinging to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven by which you may be saved. He is our hope. He is resurrected from the dead. There is no grave that has been found that contains His body. His body is not here. He is ascended to the Father. There have been eyewitnesses of this fact. And we know it to be true by faith. We understand it. Lord Jesus is in heaven. And so that brings us to the last bit of application here for every believer as we close. You've never seen the Lord. You've never seen him. But we live by his power. We live according to his strength. We struggle. We're so filled with strife. We can barely, barely understand salvation as it is offered to us and the complexity of the word of God. But one day, him who you have never seen You will see Him. The One who has loved you eternally. The One who has loved you from afar. The One who has loved you intimately and near. The One who fashioned you, created you, sustained you by His Word and power daily, such that you are not destroyed, such that you are not ruined, you are not forsaken. You will one day see Him who loves you with an unbridled love who loves you powerfully, unfailingly, who will never forsake you, who will never leave you. Praise be to God. One day you will see him who has loved you eternally. May God be pleased to give us a joy and a hope that lasts and sees Jesus and anticipates with joy that, that meeting of ourselves with him once again. We have met him by faith, but then we will see him face to face. May God be pleased to bring that day soon. Let's pray. O Lord God, our resurrected Savior Jesus. We rejoice in you because without you, we are as those in this world who are most to be pitied. We are hopeless and helpless. But because of you, we are holy, undefiled, preserved, loved. Lord God, we rejoice at the salvation which you have granted to us, which you have brought to effect by your death, your life. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe in him resurrected from the grave ascended to the right hand of God the Father, who is coming to judge the living and the dead. Help us, Lord, to remember these things and to encourage one another with these words. When we are struggling, when we are hurting, to take hold of each other's hands and to say, but the Lord is coming. It's not trite. It's not useless nor worthless. as the world often tries us to just... Find joy in our circumstances, baseless, groundless joy, having a stiff upper lip, but rather to encourage one another. The Lord is coming. You're going to be with the Lord. The Lord, help us to take great encouragement from these promises. We ask this, that you would encourage your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.